This week's reading from the Rays of the One Light is Abiding in God. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Yogananda often emphasized, more often to his disciples than to the general public, but also to everyone generally, for it was a universal teaching, the importance of attunement. For divine understanding cannot be created. It must be perceived. To the disciples, Yogananda spoke of the importance of attunement with the Guru. To others, he urged the importance at least of attuning oneself to higher consciousness. Can an eagle rise without support from the sustaining air? Jesus Christ said in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 15, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples." How can we abide in him? Jesus says, If my words abide in you. By words, he meant not only his spoken words, but his vibrations, his consciousness, of which the words are only an expression. We must abide by the teachings, but we must also absorb those teachings into ourselves, that they become our own experience. For disciples of this path, the more in their hearts they live consciously in the presence of the masters, the more they will find the divine presence living in them. And for all truth seekers, whether disciples or not, the more they live sustained inwardly by the awareness of God's presence, the higher they will find themselves soaring in wisdom and joy. For the Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, I am the source of everything. From me all creation emerges. Blessed with this realization, the wise, awe-stricken, adore me. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Sunday service and those who are visiting and taking different programs at the Expanding Light. We hope that you've received many blessings and direction in your life to go forward. I'd like to start by reading a particularly beautiful passage, although we say this every time. 
How can you improve on perfection, huh? So this is from Whispers from Eternity, Prayer Poems by our Guru. And this is Prayer Demand for Removing the Cork of Ignorance. No more shall my consciousness remain bottled in this little vessel of flesh, corked with ignorance. No more will I remain moving through the sea of cosmic consciousness, night and day, years, decades, and how many incarnations, so close yet never able to contact thy sea. Through the bursting vibration of cosmic sound and the surging of thy holy name, I have removed the cork of ignorance which so long separated me from thee, though we live together so closely. Now my body consciousness will meet thy all-surrounding, all-pervading consciousness. No longer will I walk heedlessly in thee, but never knowing and feeling thee. Thine image within me shall meet thine image everywhere. By releasing the I-ness in me, I will know that I am thou, and that thou alone art the little egos of us all. So this topic today really, I would say, is the most important of any we might address as devotees, as disciples of Yogananda or as our, of our own chosen path, because really what we're talking about is how to feel we are a part of a greater reality of a divine consciousness and how to attune ourselves with that, how to feel our oneness with that, how to feel that we are sustained by that. Because when we begin to experience those states, that's when we begin to feel the joy that we were born, that we were destined to experience. The image that... we read in the Bible this morning of the vine and the branches is such a good one. One could go so deep in explaining different interpretations of it. But basically, when it's such a perfect analogy for us, tr- us trying to feel our oneness with a source of all consciousness, with a greater reality. Because just in... Uh, agriculture, horticulture, when we have a rootstock, whatever it may be, a tree or a vine, and we want to introduce a cutting onto it, it, if we just take a plant that's perfectly self-contained and self-sufficient with its own little root system, and we kind of stick it on that tree or that rootstock, what will happen? It will wither and die. But how do they get that little cutting which is our ego, to, to be sustained, to take co- coherence, cohesion with that rootstock. How? The same way God does it with us. We have to go through some suffering. We have to have that rootstock, the little branch, I should say, the, the outside covering has to be peeled away. And that's our ego being stripped away. It has to be stressed. There has to be little cuttings in it. And that's all the things that our karma draws to us that we think, oh, I'm just doing fine. And then this blow and that blow and this blow happens. And we realize 
you know, I'm not doing so fine. And then, then we introduce, they make a little place where on the rootstock where our little cutting can be introduced. But then we have to make it adhere. And so often they'll put mud around it or, or soil and they'll wrap it with a cloth to protect it and to give it the moisture and the ability to stay in place. And what is that? That's our sadhana. That's our devotion that makes us cling to that rootstock until we really feel, oh, I'm making a connection here. And so at first it has to be from the outside. We have to be in a good environment like a spiritual community. And we have to support and, and protect ourselves from the adverse influences of, of the world that says, ooh, look at this and look at that and don't forget about that. You might still enjoy that. And, and you think, no, thank you. I'm trying to take root here in the rootstock of God and Guru. And so it's such a perfect, perfect image. And we need to try with everything we can to consciously make that integration of our little ego with the Guru who's come. He's the vine. And we're just the little branches that are growing from that vine. We have no value in and of ourselves I'm sorry to say, but it's true. We, we just, the value of us is just if we find that flow of, life, of divine consciousness from the rootstock, from the vine, into our branches. Now, how do we do this? I mean, we've talked about environment, we've talked about sadhana and so forth, devotion, but I'd like to touch on different points that may help us in this process. First of all, the ego really needs to get to the point. We need to get to the point in our egoic self where we say, I'm done with this. Swami talked about that beautiful experience in his own life where he, when he was living with Master as a monk at Mount Washington, and he, he felt so close to that oneness with his guru, but he felt the ego kept intruding. And finally, one meditation, one evening, with all of his will, which for those of us who knew him was considerable, with all of his strength and concentration and devotion, he just yelled to the ego, I'm going to step back from the mic, (laughs) get out! And he said in that moment, he actually felt something leave. And then he went out, and Master was standing, it was sunset, and Master was standing on the tennis courts there, and Swamiji went and knelt before him, and Master blessed him and said, very good. So we have to get to that point where it is so distasteful, unpleasant, confining to be defining ourselves as an ego that we just want to cast it out. And there's a beautiful uh, teaching in Master's commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita, which Swami has uh, presented so clearly and so uh, comprehensively in his book, The Essence of the Bhagavad Gita. But in Master's interpretations of the Bhagavad Gita, it is part of, uh, the Bhagavad Gita is part of a 
great epic, the Mahabharata, and all of the different characters are actually, according to Master's interpretations, different aspects of our own self. And the ba- it's a battle. It takes place on a battle between good forces of good and evil, and all of the different warriors and princes and and um, <clears throat> high and low, they're all parts of our own self. It's very, very interesting, and I really encourage you to read it. But there's one character that's very pertinent to our discussion, and this is the great mentor of both sides of the warring factions, the Pandavas who represent good and the Kauravas who represent darkness or materialism. And this character is Bhishma, the great mentor. He's the grandsire. These two factions are actually related. They're cousins. So he's the grandsire of both sides, the ego. And Master says that he represents the ego. Very interesting. And so he's a great warrior. He's a great soul, respected and loved by all. But nevertheless, he represents the ego. And he's given a boon because he's taken a, a vow earlier on in life. And he's given a boon that he can never die except by his own volition. And this is the ego. It can never die unless we finally say, I'm done. I give up. I don't want it anymore. And in the Mahabharata, there's a beautiful passage where it's uh, towards the end of the battle. And remember, as Master interprets it, it's all allegorical, more in the middle of the battle. But Bhishma, the great warrior representing the ego, is riddled with arrows. In fact, so riddled with arrows that he falls down and he's lying on a bed of arrows. And in the Gita, he's still expounding the truths of proper uh, government and warfare and so forth. But then he's, he, he says, an arrow has pierced me, and that's now I give up my separate reality. And that arrow, even though his body was riddled with them, it was shot by the great devotee Arjuna, who is the represented, the symbolic of, uh, Swami says, disciple every man, devotee every man. And so it's only the arrow of great devotion and humility, all the attributes of a good disciple, of self-sacrifice, it's only that arrow that can pierce the shield of the ego and then the ego Bhishma says I surrender and he dies and again it's a fascinating story and I won't go into it more than that but it's so important for us to realize that unless we want to give it up it will stay with us and so we go through years and decades as it's said in that passage lifetimes, incarnations, till we finally say, I get it. I get it. There's no gratification in seeing myself in my limited form. It's only when I begin to experience myself in my greater form that I can find what I'm looking for. In Swami's very fine book that he wrote towards in the last year or so of his life, the biography of Paramahansa Yogananda, he tells a very interesting story of one of Master's disciples who was very uh, involved in Master's work. Uh, His name was Reverend Bernard. 
And he was very intelligent, very capable. Master had him teaching and um, leading different parts of the work, managing them. And and he also had very, he was born with certain health, conge- uh, congenital health problems. He had double curvature of the spine and he only had one lung. So his body was fragile. But as long as he was in tune with Master, Master could support him. And he was driving tractors and doing construction work and all sorts of things. But then he started feeling arrogance and pride about his own accomplishments. Oh, I'm a very fine teacher. Oh, look what a good organizer I am. And he began losing sight of the fact that it all came from Master. And he lost his attunement. And then he masters, and then he starts saying, oh, I'm so, I don't feel well. I shouldn't be doing this physical work and so forth. And Master said, as long as he, he told Swamiji, this is a quote, as long as he was in tune with me, I could sustain him and I could help him overcome those, that poor health. But as soon as he lost his attunement, I couldn't help him anymore. And that's an avatar. So it's very interesting that the, the vine is always trying to sustain those little branches. But when we cut off the attunement because of our ego, whatever we think, oh, I'm accomplished at this, or look how well I did that, then that vine can't sustain us as much as it had before. And so again, the ego is that which gets in the way of that divine life flowing through the vine. There was a, there's a beautiful chant that Haridas wrote originally, taking it from Master's words, and then Swami <clears throat> expounded on it. What is this life flowing through my veins? Could it be other than divine? And then what is this consciousness throwing, flowing through my soul? On and on. It's always divine. And so the first step in really feeling our connection, the branches with the vine, is to to look at the ego and say, I want to give it up. But then our ally in that is our meditation and our sadhana. Because really, if we meditate properly, we're, we're taught to concentrate at the spiritual eye, the kutastha, seat of higher consciousness. And interestingly, in the science of yoga, that the seed of soul awareness is the positive pole located here. The negative pole, Master teaches us, is located in the area of the medulla oblongata, the seat of the ego. But they're not separate. They're positive and negative aspects of the same pole. So all of our practices of meditation, and particularly if you've received Kriya Yoga, if you haven't received it yet, we really urge you, take the steps necessary to get Kriya initiation, because it is the most, as Master called it, the jet airplane path to God. And why is it? Because you're taught how to consciously move daily, Move the energy from the medulla, the ego center, to the spiritual eye. And sometimes in meditation, it's interesting. I don't know if you've, Kriya Bonds, if you've had that ex- this experience, but sometimes I can feel where my, aware, my self-awareness is. And it's somewhere in the area of the ego. And then I think, okay, okay, let's move it up. Let's move it up. Let's move it forward. And hold it there. 
And it's a good practice throughout the day just to stop and feel, where is my self-awareness? Is it in the in medulla? Is it somewhere midbrain? Is it pretty close to the front? And to try, take a little moment to just bring it up there and hold it there. Pierce through the barrier of ego consciousness and pierce through the spiritual eye till we soar out into infinity. So our meditation is very important in this process. It isn't just pleasant. It isn't just about sitting and in the quiet and peace. It's a battle. It's a battle just as that battle we were talking about to bring that energy up out of the ego and hold it there. And then once we begin doing that in meditation, so we talked about overcome the ego, meditation, then the next step is look at your daily life and try, as I was saying, throughout the day to bring your awareness there, hold it there, and try to feel that everything that I'm doing, it's just a flow of that divine grace. You know, Swami Kriyananda was an extraordinarily accomplished human being. He wrote 150 books. I mean, we all know the litany. You know, we, he wrote 400 pieces of music and founded communities, seven or eight communities throughout the world, but to, and many other things. But to me, his greatest accomplishment was that he never identified with anything that he did. And that's what he gave to us, I'm not going to write 150 books. I'm, I'm not going to do all the things he did. But whatever I do do, I can follow his example and say, Lord, you're doing it. Good, bad, and different. You are the doer. There's a beautiful quote, a prayer poem uh, in Metaphysical Meditations that says, uh, these are uh, prayers of, of Master. He says, Lord, Thou art the sole activating force in this universe. And in recognition of thee as the doer is the only value of all my life's experiences. So all of our life's experiences only have value when we recognize that God's the doer. And even the great ones, like Master's most advanced disciple, Rajasi Janakananda, and again, an accomplished, self-made millionaire in the world of uh, material world, but that was just the least of what he did. He, in a very short time after coming to Master, he entered into the highest states of samadhi. But he was just like a little child with Master. And Master would say to him, Rajasi, don't forget where your power comes from. And he would say, I won't master, it comes from you. And that's what pleases God. Not all the things we do, even in his name, but the thought, the recognition that God is doing it through us. And when we can get there, there's, such, there's nothing to be afraid of because God's always doing it. And if we make a mistake, we can just come home and say, God, you kind of blew it today on that one. <laughs> wasn't the best thing to say to that person. But it's just, it becomes a beautiful dance. And finally, to help us in this process, I think it's so important to have faith and look at all the examples in our life 
when we have been sustained, where the vine has sustained us, when we've been walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and God was with us. You know, there's in Autobiography of a Yogi that one of the great chapters, and again, which chapter isn't great, but uh, Two Penniless Boys in Brindaban, and Master goes with uh, Jitendra, not our Jitendra, but another Jitendra. <laughs> and, you know, they're, he's sent off by his brother, his skeptical brother, to go to um, Brindaban with no money, and uh, just and he gives him the challenge: I want you to see all the sights of Brindaban and have no, don't miss a meal, and then come back. and And if you do that, his skeptical older brother tells him, "I will, I will become your disciple." And so it's a wonderful chapter. You all probably have read it, but you remember that certain point after they they arrive and they're fed this sumptuous meal at this ashram that was prepared for princes who didn't come. And then uh, they're leaving, and Jatindra immediately says, okay, that was just good luck, but when, how's the rest of it going to happen? And, and Master says to him, how soon after God grants us his grace that we forget? And you know, if, honestly, think about it, if the only thing that ever happened to us in our life was that we found out a biography of a yogi and came on this path, what greater proof do we need to know of God's grace? And yet it happens all the time. I would say almost, if not daily, at least regularly. And so don't forget, remember, even as I say, even if years go by, we're still on the path. We're still his disciples. That's a miracle. That even the Master said, even the ability to think about God is his grace. Much less to seek him. Much less to have an avatar as a guru to help you find him. And so all of these things help us to feel that connection, that oneness, letting go of that sense of separation, the desire no longer to be limited, to have our deep sadhana and and use the techniques as they were meant to be used, and to feel always that flow as we walk. Sometimes I would watch Swami walk, even if there wasn't a breeze, and it was as though there was a God was the wind in his sails, and you could see it, and you could just see him being carried along in those that wind of grace, no matter what was going on, good, bad, or horrible. There was always that wind of grace in his sails, and we can be this way too. These great ones don't come just to have a life and find God for themselves. They come, Master, his great disciples, Swamiji. They come to show us the possibility of our own life. They come to show us, maybe I'm the farthest little tendril on that vine, but I'm still clinging, Master, and I won't let go. I'll never let go until I realize that you have always been the little ego that I thought was my separate self. God bless you.